0: Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true, is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. So today we're going to be doing a sermon on the mystery of Christ, a bit of a mystery we're going to cover today. And the section we're going to look at is Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. Now just before we read that, I'm going to read that in a moment, Uh, we're going to pray and I'm going to go through a quick review of chapter 2, but just hold your Bibles open. Thank you, Lord, for this time now, and uh, we honour you this morning, and we thank you that you're here with us, and that your word has already been preached this morning, and Uh, We've heard some uh, fabulous messages already, and I just pray that, um, Lord, we can top it off now with a study on the book of Ephesians as we go through chapter 3, or part of chapter 3, and I pray that you bless the words that are spoken today, that you will help me to say just the things you've called me to say, no more and no less, but enough so that we can get an understanding and get a real strong gist of what Paul was writing in this letter, this wonderful letter. Uh, a letter that, the the name Ephesians means full purpose. A letter that helps reveal the full purpose of who we are in you. And so help us today to get so much more from this letter than we have could have seen before. And I pray that you help me to do this by your anointing, by your Holy Spirit. And so we honour you God, we honour you Jesus, honour you Holy Spirit in this. Amen. Amen. Okay, now just in a quick review, we're just going to, go through a review of chapter 2, if you remember, with the last two sermons in relation to this. And uh, chapter 2 opens in verses 1 to 3 with our condition without Christ. He describes what that condition was. And in verse 1, we see that we're dead in sins. In verse 2, we're following the world and Satan, or we were following the world and Satan. Uh, Also in verse 3, we're living for the flesh, and we were objects of wrath, we're objects of Wrath before God. Then in verses 4 to 10, it talks about our position now that we are in Christ and uh, that God made us alive in Christ by grace. Verses 4 to 5. That God raised us up with Christ in the heavenlies. In verse 6. And in the coming ages, He will show His incomparable riches. In verse 7. And that we're saved by grace and not by works. If you remember that, we're saved by grace and not by works, so that no man should boast. Verses 8 to 9. And that in verses 10, that we are God's workmanship created for good works, works that He prepared in advance for us to do. That's verse 10. Then in verses 11 to 12, uh, is he, uh, Paul goes into the condition that the Gentiles w- were in without Christ, that he firstly uh, references Gentiles as uncircumcised, and, and which means like Gentile to the promises meaning when we have no right to those promises in our Gentile condition. that in verse 12, we are separate from Christ. Verses 12 also says that we're excluded from citizenship in Israel. Verse 12 again says, foreigners to the covenants of the promise and also without hope and without God. So that's a pretty separate condition. We are really away from God and no way of finding our way back on our own. But the condition Gentile condition through Christ is covered in verses thirteen to eighteen that we have been brought near through christ 's blood verses thirteen that Christ is now our peace in this world in verses fourteen that he destroyed uh, sorry, that he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility in verse fourteen, and that he abolished the law with his flesh in verses fifteen and in verse fifteen. It also says, in Christ, one new man was made out of Jews and Gentiles, that we have become one, one people. We're not finished chapter 2 yet. We were reconciled to God through the cross in verses 16. Uh, His peace came to both Jews and Gentiles, verse 17, because the Jews needed salvation as much as the Gentiles did. And through Christ, we all have access to God by one spirit. So there's one Holy Spirit who indwells in all men who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that one Spirit we have access to Christ through. And then the Gentile condition in Christ now in verses 19 to uh, 22 is discussed. We are fellow citizens with God's people in verses 19. Uh, We are members of God's household also in verse 19. And we're a holy temple built on apostles and prophets and on Christ, the chief cornerstone, which is verse 20. And we're joined together to become a temple where all of these people, the Jews and Gentiles, are joined together to become a holy temple in the Lord, verse 21. And we're built together to become a dwelling place for God. Isn't that amazing? That's chapter 2 of Ephesians. Now we're on to chapter 3. Chapter 3, now before we go to this, I'm just going to quickly read it with you. Chapter 3, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And this mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence." I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So that's what we're going to cover today. It's a fair bit to cover, but I'm just going... We're sort of in this verse-by-verse. Verse. We're sort of getting a brief overview of the entire book without dwelling on like one or two uh, verses per week for the next year. The mystery of Christ. Keep your Bibles open because as I go through this, mystery of Christ um, and Paul's ministry explained, as I go through this, you can sort of just briefly read through the verses as I go and you can see what I'm actually pulling up here. In verse 1, we have Paul, the prisoner of Christ. He refers to himself as a prisoner. In verse 2, Paul's administration of a mystery, of this mystery of Christ. Verses 3 to 4, we see a mystery made known by revelation. And then in verse 5, mystery revealed by the Spirit to the apostles and the prophets. So that's the Uh, where he discusses his ministry in what he was called to do in in quite a bit of detail. Then we have the mystery of Christ revealed in verses 6, that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, they're members together of one body, and they're sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And that's the mystery, mystery revealed. And then we have Paul's ministry role in verses 7 to 9 where he's a servant by the power of God and he was given grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ in verse 8 and to make this mystery plain which has been hidden in verse 9. Then in verses 10 to 13 we see God's plan for the church which is the manifold wisdom of God to be made known. In verse 10, the church to accomplish this according to the eternal purpose which God accomplished in Christ, uh, and also to approach God with freedom and confidence. We've been given uh, the blessing to be able to approach God with freedom and confidence in verse 12, and not to be discouraged because of Paul's sufferings, is verse 13, and the final uh, addendum which came onto that um, section. So just that's a brief overview, and we're just going to go through each of those verses now just to sort of get a little bit of insight into each one. And I I think I've sort of tried to sum up quite quickly each section so you can sort of see and get a a deeper insight into it. But as I've said in other videos in relation to this, that there's um, a lot of quite deep studies you can do on the book of Ephesians. You can buy, you know, big, thick books just on Ephesians. So and there's a lot of studies that are out there that you can go deeper. But we haven't got time for that in a normal church service. If we ever did a, a separate study just for the church outside of the different Bible studies we're already doing, it would be something we could do over a year if we wanted to, you know, with two-hour nights once a week. Okay, so let's keep going. So the prisoner of Christ... Ephesians 3.1 says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So throughout the New Testament, believers are considered by many different relationships with Christ. We've all heard, you know, Jesus says, you are no longer servants, you are friends. You know, he he says things like this. Um, We have different relationships with Christ. We're considered disciples, disciplined ones, that follow our Lord very disciplinedly. Uh, We're considered brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're considered friends to the Lord, so but also we are known as servants of the Lord. We're also known as slaves, like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God with all your heart. Uh, Paul talks about, and now Paul considers himself a prisoner of Christ. It's an unusual consideration, you know, to be a prisoner of God, but what I believe he's saying is he's captive to God, God's will, and he's not going to budge, as if he was a prisoner. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he was referring to the fact that he was in prison when he wrote this letter because he's talking about a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner to men. And he was a prisoner in that sense as well, but he was a prisoner to Christ's will. And no matter how hard he tried, he knew there's no way that he could break out of this prison, which I think is a good way of looking at our Christianity, isn't it? To be a captive to the will of God. Each of these relationship considerations helps us to adopt a different attitude towards our Lord. You know, if you see the Lord as your friend, you'll approach him as a friend, as someone that's very very close to you. You can also see him as your brother and sister, so you've, you know, you have that relationship. You also see him as if you're a, you're a disciple of his, someone that you follow. You're a servant, someone that you serve with all your heart. You're a slave, someone that you do his will no matter, what, no matter what, even if you don't feel like doing it. you still got to do it because you're a slave. And now you're a prisoner. And I think these help us to understand the commitment level that we have to have with God. From loving him like a brother or sister or a friend and he also as a father figure. Brothers and sisters in Christ speak of being family. Whereas a prisoner speaks of a, being a prisoner in service. And you've got to remember that if we join an army and then try to escape, that is called AWOL, you know, absent without leave. That's what AWOL stands for. But this, and this in in an army sense, is a criminal offence. If you just, you know, flee the, the army that you're with and you just abandon them, they're a deserter, that is a criminal offence. And so is in this we should consider ourselves prisoners to the will of God and commit to Christ just like a soldier commits to an army. Now, Paul talks about his grace to preach in Ephesians 3, 2-3, and it says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. So Paul was confident in his reputation among the churches as one who made known a mystery. That's a pretty a uh, confident statement, you know. If I went to a church and said, "Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you," you know, that mystery is made known, and they looked at me, "No, we haven't heard about that," <laughs> you know, because I uh, I couldn't say that because I know my reputation doesn't go that far. That anywhere I go in the world, I could say that. But Paul had that confidence in his reputation that he could make such a bold statement before churches everywhere. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. And when he said written briefly, he's already written briefly. This mystery, which he had already written briefly, is referring to the chapters 1 and 2 that we've already read. Because he talks about that we're members of God's household. But he, he talks about it in 2.11-13. to 13. He talks about his condition, their condition without Christ. At that time, you're separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. But if you then shoot forward to 2.19 to 22, he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Right. So he talks about that's the mystery of Christ revealed even there. And then he's about to just elaborate a little bit more on that mystery that he is to reveal. And this is in the next screen. He talks about revealed by the Spirit. Ephesians 3, 4 to 5, in reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul now appeals to the Ephesians to recognize his special anointing from God to reveal this mystery by pointing them to the earlier part of the epistle. And then he says, this mystery revealed in the Apostles Paul, Peter, John, James and Jude's epistles, which is all the writers of the the New Testament epistles. And he's talking about the apostles and prophets revealed through them. indicates that Paul believed in the God-inspired writing of these books. He believed that God wrote those books through those apostles and prophets. And uh, it wasn't the writings of mere men. It was men writing (laughs) for God. And so that's, he just basically authenticates the New Testament epistles, New Testament of canon, by saying that. And this is the mystery revealed. And he says this in Ephesians 3 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And this is a wonderful mystery. It's great to know that we are now included in Christ. We're great to know that the cross is by the cross we are now saved, and it's not according to our works, but it's according to what He's done. Therefore, you know, we don't have to feel guilty about our past sins. We can just know that God's redeemed us from that as long as we turn to Him and live for Him and be covered in the blood and, you know, walk in holiness. We can know that that has been covered, that has been done, and that's the mystery. But you know when this mystery will really mean a lot to us? is the moment we enter into eternity. That's when what is written here will mean everything to us. It will be the all-consuming you know, thing that will be the glory of heaven. And that's when we'll stand before God and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't thank you enough for what you've done for me on that cross. It didn't mean as much to me down on earth as it does to me now that I see the glory of it. It says, Through Christ and the cross, the Gentiles are included into the promises given to Israel. You see, before Jesus, we were excluded from from paradise. We were excluded from the promises of God. We were damned. But now with Christ, it says this, We are heirs together with Israel. We are legally entitled to the same promises. If we are heirs, we will inherit legally what is promised if we're heirs, aren't we? So we're legally entitled to the same promises. We're members together of one body. We are many parts, but we are one. Jews and Gentiles as one. And we are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus, sharing in and partaking of all the blessings of God. And that's a wonderful thing. And like I said, we experience a, a, a sense of glory in relation to that now, but it's not until we reach heaven that we really see the fullness of that glory and it really hits us, hits us really hard. So I'm encouraging you now to seek out and understand just what Christ has done for us and get a full grip on it, grip of it on in our heart so that we can truly thank him and praise him and honour him in our lives. Because to Jesus it was everything, wasn't it? He died so that we could live. You know, he laid his life down. How valuable would have would that thing have had to be for Christ to commit his death to it? It would have to be pretty serious stuff for God to die for. So that's how important it is, and we got to really see it that importantly. Paul the servant. After calling himself a prisoner a few verses earlier, he now says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. The servant of the gospel. And who is the gospel about? Jesus Jesus Christ. So he became a servant of Jesus Christ, the gospel. In verse 1, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now he refers to himself as a servant of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And a servant serves This should be the pervading attitude of the church, to serve, to serve one another because he calls us to serve one another in that sense. He says, you know, when he washed the feet of of all the disciples, he said, do this to one another. Now, whether he meant literally do that or not, what it does mean is be like this with one another. You know, if someone comes to your house and his feet are filthy and he can't bend over, you know, you wash his feet. You know, go that far with people that you would actually wash their feet. And you know, washing feet in ancient Israel was considered the lowest job you could possibly do. You know, it was this, the scum living in the street would come and do that for a shekel. You know, and Jesus stooped to the lowest position that a man could stoop to, to show this is how humble I am before you. I'm not just your God. But I am bending down to serve you and wash your filthy feet. Wow, what a god! Would you wash someone's filthy feet in with a normal worldly attitude? You have mothers do mothers do for their for their daughters. Yeah, you haven't washed my feet. I've noticed. Anyway, <laughs> we will not go there. But you got to ask that question. You no, know? that's that's a, a pretty. Amazing God we serve that does not sense that he's lost any glory by washing a man's feet. Mm, And not only that, he went even further than stooping down to wash man's feet. What did he do that was even more than that? He laid his life down. He laid his life down. He died on the cross. He was impaled upon a timber cross. So that we could be saved. So that filthy, the filthy condition of man could be atoned for, could be washed completely. So he washed their feet. But then he went and by his sacrifice, now he washes the whole man by his blood. That is the most humble act the universe has ever known. Because Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels to come and take me down from the cross or prevent my arrest. Jesus didn't have to be arrested. They tried to throw him off a cliff. He walked straight through. But he said the will of God must be done. And if I don't do this, how will these people be saved? How will their wretched condition condition be atoned for? So this should be the pervading attitude of the church. If more Christians humbled themselves and washed one another's feet in the sense of spiritually speaking and encouragingly and uh, um, emotionally connecting with them and, and reaching out, there would be a lot less problems in the church. John twelve twenty six says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be my father will honor the one who serves me if you serve Jesus if you whoever serves me must follow me you can't serve Jesus without following him and doing as he did and he also said this Luke 22:27 for who is greater the one who is at the table or the one who serves is it not the one who is at the table but I'm among you as one who serves isn't that an interesting verse I'm among you as one who serves. And he says, the one who's at the table is greater than one who serves. And he says, I'm among you as one who serves. So that, that's an interesting verse. And a lot of people will see that as him saying, hey, I'm not the son of God. That's not what he's saying at all. This is no way saying Christ is not Lord and King. Gill's exposition of the Bible writes, Christ took upon him the form of a servant. And instead of being ministered unto, he ministered to others. And had very lately, but two days before gird himself and took a basin and a towel, and washed and wiped the feet of his disciples and Now, our Lord, by his own example, throughout the whole of his conduct among them, as well as by such a single action, would dissuade from their ambitious views of superiority over each other. He was doing that as an example: don't fight among yourselves who is greater I'm among you as one who serves and that's when he says he you know that he is greater the one who's serves others is greater in the kingdom of god so the kingdom of god has turned worldly kingdoms upside down you know he who serves is greater in the kingdom so that's that's a, a toppling of the of the norm of the status quo of the way things were you know thought to be in kingdoms kings are served in the kingdom of god the kings serve amazing superior over each other and learn of him who was meek and lowly who's he talking about Jesus, and by love serve one another, by love serve one another. So Paul humbled himself in Ephesians 3, 8 to 9. It says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Paul here expresses his deep sense of of the guilt from his past life as Saul, the great persecutor of the church, and so he humbles himself before the church. And he humbles himself and he says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. He had grace given to him so that he could preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, make it plain And he did that, didn't he? He made the unsearchable riches of Christ plain. All you've got to do is read the Bible and you can see it very plainly. To make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages, prior to Paul, ages and ages and ages, it was kept hidden in God, the God who created all things, hid this mystery from us. Now the mystery is revealed. And Paul was the administration of that mystery to be revealed. So from this humble estate... He then recognizes the grace that was given to him to preach to the Gentiles a hidden mystery and to make it plain and simple. And then he reveals, and this is an important one for the church, he reveals the destiny of the church. In Ephesians 3, 10 to 11, he says his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what was the church, church's intent? Can you see it there? Yeah. Um, the manifold yeah. wisdom of God. So Paul now turns to the destiny of the church. The role of the church is to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's interesting, isn't it? I thought it was make disciples of nations. He goes a step further than that. To make disciples of nations, we must reveal the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly realms or else the heavenly realms won't release these souls to be discipled. It's interesting. When we attempt to tell someone about Christ, it is not flesh and blood we come against, but against spiritual forces which control their thinking. So if you ever... They've spoken to someone about Jesus and you can't understand why they don't get it. And I've had that experience many, many times. Why don't they get it? Because I'm fighting them in the flesh in a sense or trying to reach them in the flesh, not realizing that there's a spiritual hold, there's a spiritual force in the heavenly realms that is controlling their thinking. So in that, to reach men with the gospel, we must break the holds over unbelievers as we tell them the gospel. So we do this by internal prayer. And I've done that when I've spoken to people. I ask the Lord to reveal the truth to them, and whether He does immediately and occasionally, I have seen people immediately had had the gospel revealed to them as I'm as I've spoken to them. Sometimes I'm I've I've been a part of a, maybe a process that God's taken that person through, and I maybe said things that they rejected, but later they can't sleep at night because the words are ringing in their ears. You know, so you have got to think that it's always the plan God's plan for that person has to be accomplished. And sometimes we work into that by saying a certain thing at a certain time. And we also can break the heavenly realms uh, that are holding these people bound uh, through intercessory prayer. So keep that in mind as well. Approaching God. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Him and through faith in Him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Who approaches God with freedom and confidence here? Put up your hand. If you can approach God with freedom and confidence. You can approach him with confidence, but who approaches him with total freedom? But we could all all do with more confidence and we could all do with more freedom. Ephesians 3.12 gives us some secrets here. It says, In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Barnes writes, The sense is that we may now come confidently and boldly to the throne of grace for mercy in the name of the Redeemer boldness is not rashness and faith is not presumption but we may come with without hesitating and with an assurance that our prayers will be heard so when we pray we have got to know that god hears prayer and he wants to answer our prayers um, but there's a, a three different ways he answers them he is god, he's a god of yes and no It's either if you're praying a prayer that is very worldly and it's not of God in any way, shape or form, the answer will be no. But if it's in the will of God, it'll be yes as well. So sometimes we can have immediate answers to prayers. But then there's other times we just got to wait or God will, at the right time, answer that prayer. Veena and I have seen things over the years where um, we've prayed for things and it might not eventuate for like eight months or a year, but it eventually eventuates. And sometimes we even forget we've prayed for it. But I've had revelations that, yeah, we actually were praying for that many, many months ago. So in Christ we can now confidently come before the Father in the name of Jesus and petition him by faith. And we've got to exercise that. We've got to exercise our faith in prayer. You don't grow in faith in any other area except in prayer. And, of course, having the Word of God in your heart. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to be able to... Quote the scriptures clearly and accurately. It's the best way to know that it's in your heart. And just the last scripture we're doing today is Ephesians three thirteen, and it says, "I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory." You know, that scripture, and I've been I've read the book of Ephesians many, many, many times because I'm in the process, and I've nearly completed the process of memorizing the book. And this passage being placed here has always seemed out of place to me. just doesn't seem to flow in the context of what he's talking about. And all of a sudden he just blurts out, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And it's funny because I've always felt that when I've read it. I felt like it was a scripture that just didn't flow with everything else. It just seemed it would have been better near the end of the letter when he starts Referencing different people and uh, praying for or asking them to pray for me, and then say, maybe you know, you should uh, not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And then I read how Barnes helps us to grasp what he wrote. And this is the amazing thing Barnes, in his commentary of the Bible, wrote, The connection here is this. So, what he went and said was, There's a connection, and I'll explain what it is um, because he obviously has wrestled with that as well. Where's the connection? Why did that pop up there? And I'm sure if Paul had a word processor, he probably would have grabbed that section and dragged it to another part and put it in order with everything else. But he said this, Paul was then a prisoner at Rome. He had been made made such in consequence of his efforts to diffuse the Christian religion among the Gentiles Uh, His zeal in this cause and the opinions which he held on this subject had roused the wrath of the Jews and led to all the calamities which he was now suffering. Of that the Ephesians, he supposes, were aware. It was natural that they should be distressed at his sufferings, for all his privations were endured on their account. But here he tells them not to be troubled and disheartened. He was indeed suffering, but he was reconciled to it, and they should be also since it was promoting their welfare." What I think happened, Paul's writing the letter and then that came to mind in reference to what he was writing and he thought he better just say, don't be discouraged, guys. I know you know I'm in prison. I know you know I'm suffering, but this is all for your glory. Okay. You know, yeah. And he just stuck it in there because it obviously came to mind at that moment, not that it's necessarily in the flow of that part of the letter at all. It, it was like when he's writing the letter, he's writing what's on his mind right now and next. That's is that encouraging. Yeah, a bit of an encouragement at that point. He'd been very heavy in theology up till that point. So in conclusion, it's coming. Paul reveals what the essence and purpose of his ministry was, that he was called to reveal a mystery to the Gentiles. And the mystery he reveals is that through the gospel of Christ, the Gentiles and Jews are heirs together, members together of Christ, and sharers together in the promises of God. And, and remember our last message in relation to this I was talking about, that the cross, uh, you never really re- understand the power and what the cross really means until we understand that the cross not only bridges a gap from, for us to get to heaven or to get to et- eternal life, but it also bridges the gap between us and the Jews and reconciles us and makes us one people. And, and that was referenced where he was talking about the dividing wall of hostility that divides Jews from Gentiles. And I also believe he's referencing the dividing wall of hostility that divides God from Jews and Gentiles. He then reveals that the purpose for the church, the Jews and the Gentiles as one, was to make the manifold wisdom of God known in the heavenly realms where Paul tells us that Satan reigns. That's Ephesians 2 2. He then tells us to boldly come before God in the full knowledge of who we are in Him and uh, understanding what He's done so that we have that access to the Father because of what Jesus has done. And it's rightfully ours. We are heirs together in the promises and share us together in the promises, heirs together so we have rights in the kingdom of God to claim these promises boldly before God. Amen? Okay, so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message today. I thank you that you've uh, spoken to us and you've moved in us and helped us to understand this section of the book of Ephesians more uh, clearly. And I thank you that you've enabled me to make sense of it uh, in in some ways, Lord, just uh, in the brief look that we've had of it. And, Lord, I do thank you that uh, you've really helped us to pull up some of the key points in relation to uh, what Paul was talking about. But, Lord, I pray that it really does make a difference in our life. I'm not just preaching this so that we'll be, uh, have some sort of a head knowledge, but, Lord, I'm preaching it so that we'll have a heart understanding and a heart belief and increase in faith So that when we pray, we can pray knowing full well that you hear our prayers and that we have rights in the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom, heirs together with Israel, sharers together in the promise. We are not separate from Christ. We're not excluded any longer. But we're together in you, Lord. And you did that for us by the way of the cross. And we thank you so much for what you did for us on that cross. It's wonderful. So we ask that you uh, help us this week and guide us this week into the fullness of what you've called us to and help us to grow stronger and stronger in you each and every day by faith, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.